I've been a-hunting these woods since I was seven years old. The shotgun was my granddad's, now it's mine to hold. I ain't never hurt no one except a turkey each year. And come Sunday morning, I'll be bending God's ear. Guns and religion. All right, Austin Cunningham, Guns and Religion, the name of that one. Uh, I'm Cable Smith, and this is Campfire Conversations, episode 39. The Spring Turkey Edition. And we're going to check in with longtime waterfowler and turkey hunter Fred Zink of Zink Game Calls and the founder and creator of Avian X Turkey Decoys. By the way, these things are sick. <laughs> I've been using them this season. Ooh, you talk about lifelike decoys, and I've used a lot of them. But uh, we'll talk about all that stuff with Fred, uh, who, yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize. Just a little background. I mean, you probably know of Fred Zink because of his duck hunting, um, but I didn't know he was a decoy carver. Yeah, and that's how his passion for creating the most lifelike decoys really evolved. So uh, yeah, Fred will expand on all of that stuff. Uh, I'm just glad that you're here, and I hope that you've had a chance to get out and chase some gobbles this spring. Uh, maybe your season's about to open up. The farther north you go, the later it opens up. Texas, we've been going strong for over a month in the south zone and still have um, a couple weekends left in the north zone as well. So I think over two weeks left to go yet in uh, in Texas, but... Um, I think Fred's from Ohio, and I don't think their season's even open yet. But much to discuss. Without further ado, let's get into it. Fred Zink of Avian X, thanks for being here, man. Hey, great to be involved here. I appreciate the invite, Cable. Absolutely. So first of all, I'm looking at your background here. A lot of hand-carved wooden uh, duck decoys. Yeah, yeah. You're a big collector, it looks like. Uh, Collector and carver. My dad was, I'd collect, I'm a wood carver as well. That's how uh-huh. I got in the decoy business to begin with. Oh, okay, right on. I have a couple. Uh, I think one of them's done by, is there a Boyt? Boyt, is that a carver? Uh, there could be. There's so many uh-huh. carvers, you know what I mean? I know a majority of what I would say the top flight ones, you know, like world uh-huh. champions and stuff like that. I'm competing and judging and knowing them. Yeah. Yep. It's, uh it seems like that's, uh, I don't know, I've never done the Chesapeake Bay duck hunt, but like as a hardcore waterfowler, I think that's one that needs to be on everybody's bucket list to go there and, yeah, hunt for sure. and go see the museums and everything. Yep. That's where the world championship is held down in Ocean City, Maryland. And then when you get up to Sasquahanna Flats, uh, mm-hmm. uh, there's just a ton of museums up there, a lot of carvery, carvers in that area, especially waterfowl hunters, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, well, so what I want to talk about today though, is, you know, it's Turkey season. Correct. So you're, you're joining us from Ohio where you yes. live. Uh, how has your season been so far? Starts this Saturday, actually. That's crazy to me. I mean, we've been in the South zone where I think we've been open for what three or four weeks now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, at least forget- that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like in duck hunting, the season starting in the North and go South turkey yeah. hunting is starting the South and go North, like uh-huh. the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, it, which is a huge turkey state, a lot of hunters, uh, opens May 1st. 
Hmm. Okay. Yep. Okay. And some of Ohio in the northeast corner of Ohio opens May first as well. Uh huh. So obviously you you made a name for yourself in waterfowling. Um, I didn't realize you were you know a, a serious decoy carver, but I've long been aware of your your duck calls. Yeah. And uh, so, how does that transition into starting Avian X? Because uh, I got to tell you, I've been turkey hunting pretty religiously for about 15 years and I've right. tried a mess of different decoys and some are better than others, but I can honestly say none of them look as real as the ones that I got for this season. Yeah. So it started off, uh, I started in a, in a family that hunted. I saw, so I grew up on a farm in Southern Ohio and I've always hunted and fished since I could walk. I mean, my dad was a hunter, my grandpa, my great grandpa, and uh, so I'd never known anything but a farm boy growing up and, and hunting and fishing. And uh, so I got into waterfowling when I was about nine years old and had a passion for that. I started turkey hunting when I was 15. I'm 52. So I've been at both of them quite a long time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm mostly known, obviously, for the waterfowl side of things. Uh, but I always had uh, just a love and a passion to fool things. Hide from them, look like them, sound like them. And uh, so fooling God's creation and have them come to you thinking you're them is just a cool cat and mouse game that I fell in love with when I was a kid and uh, started around the farm hunting blackbirds, making blackbird decoys, hunting them, and then got into waterfowl hunting. And then I started when I was 15 years old. Uh, It was about the first time Ohio had a turkey hunting season in the area of which I grew up. My uncle actually had some farms. And uh, central Ohio around Columbus. And uh, I started hunting when I was 15 years old, actually, for turkeys. So my, the love of of uh, hunting turkeys and obviously not growing up doing it since I've been young, young. But 15 is young. Most people yeah. uh, didn't know a lot, learned a lot of stuff on my own. And look back at how many turkeys I could have killed and didn't kill because I didn't know what to do or how to do it. But that's how it all got started. And just the love affair of, of fooling God's creation is pretty cool. So I'm assuming that you like elk hunting if you like calling stuff in. Uh, I've never done it because, well, I've never done it, my, but my dad was a guide in Colorado when I was young. Uh-huh. And so I grew up, I was in the Rocky Mountains in elk camp when I was just three years old. I remember seeing them, uh, you know, and then in the late 70s, uh, obviously the economy in the United States went to hell and gas was expensive. Interest rates were 18% or higher. And the people and the cost to go to Colorado, elk hunting and guiding and stuff kind of went to the wayside. And so my my dad quit going and uh, we started doing something that we could afford uh, around there. And he started taking me, uh, of course, he was a small game hunter, pheasant, squail, squirrel, rabbits. Uh-huh. And I grew up doing that as well. But then we started, uh, started uh, when he quit guiding and doing that, we started doing uh, uh, waterfowl hunts. And that was kind of a passion. And waterfowl hunting was was pretty good in Ohio, and that's uh, how I got hooked. Right on. So I never, I never uh, elk hunted. Um, I'm smart enough to know, and people around me, good friends of mine, are smart enough to know they get don't ever start unless you want to just like fall in love with it. So I've escaped. Oh, yeah. I've kind of stayed away on purpose because I have so many hobbies now that uh-huh. uh, don't really have time to concentrate on one more, all in. Right. <laughs> I think I've been elk hunting uh, about a decade. And just like you said, like archery elk, oh, coin flip between that and duck hunting. Uh, yeah. What's, what's my favorite? But it's, yeah. you know, 
And from a, for a Texan, well, like you were talking about driving to Colorado, well, you got to drive somewhere or yeah. fly somewhere. So you can go ahead and mark off nine, 10 days of September. That's right. Uh, my wife's not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> I know one day I'll end up going. It's just, uh, you know, as I gotten older, I got into more management side of things and buying properties and, and uh, doing the management conservation side of things, both waterfowl. And then I started, uh, I grew up deer hunting as well. But when I turned 16 and got my driver's license, um, I started full-time waterfowl hunting because at that point, right where I grew up, waterfowl hunting was, it was okay. I had to travel most cases about an hour to get to where hunting was fairly good. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as I got my driver's license, I gave up basically everything and dedicated 100% to, to waterfowl uh, because I could. And I quit deer hunting when I was, well, last time I went deer hunting, was I was 15 years old. Right? Oh, wow. So it had been 1985. Uh-huh. And then I didn't deer hunt again until 2015. Wow. And then I got invited on a, of course, my son likes to deer hunt. Of course, he always wants to do something that I'm not prepared to do, right? So... I started running trail cameras and getting back into the deer hunting side as far as guiding my my uh, son. Yeah. And then I got invited on a deer hunt and went and did it on a killer piece of ground and seen what it could be like if it was managed right and with great resources. Uh, I had my eyes opened. Uh, yeah. I shot a real nice deer with my bow that trip and uh, got kind of the bug and then came back, started buying land, started doing whitetail habitat improvements. And now, we're all over that as well. It becomes a daily 365 days a year doing something when it comes to managing whitetail, managing waterfowl. So it's kind yeah. of my, my I passion mean, right it now. never ends because if you're, I mean, obviously, um, you're, we're, we're both friends with GSM. So I'm assuming you're running pretty, pretty much stealth cams. Uh, oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's like Christmas 24 seven every day. It's like, Ooh, you know, well, and here we have pigs, so you know, there's always something, always something on the camera to be looking at. Yeah. Uh-huh. You all can have them down there. I hope they don't migrate this far north. Right, right. Uh, yeah. So, Avian X, though, when did when did you found Avian X? Founded it in uh, spring of 2011. It was the uh-huh. first year we shipped a turkey decoy. Um, my background: I started Zinc Calls, my call company, in 2000, and I went to work for Avery Greenhead Gear. Uh, basically, Avery uh, Greenhead Gear was a brand that was really used by Avery as a Walmart brand, so they could build products, put in Walmart that didn't didn't downgrade the quality of the Avery brand, you know, with larger retailers. Uh, and so, uh, Greenhead Gear, we started making product, and I went to work full time for Avery Greenhead Gear in 2001, and uh, or excuse me, spring of 2002. Uh, I quit my family business. Uh, we had an excavating, construction excavating business. And uh, I just wanted to follow my passion. So I started working for Avery Greenhead Gear in 2002. And we started making ground blinds and finisher blind, power hunters, a bunch of the the, uh, the waterfowl stuff. And then uh, talking to Tom and Alan, we started, we wanted to get in the decoy business. It was kind of my brainstorm of like we can really do good. And because at that point, a couple of friends of mine, their 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 parents uh, were like state and national world champion carvers. Mm. So I had been going to carving shows and been around. I was like, man, there's just a different level of decoys that could be created compared to what's there now. You know, in those days, it was 
carry light and flambeau and yeah. then like the higher end decoys would be like a gnh out of oklahoma right for waterfowl mm-hmm. um the gnh were a really good quality decoy paintless killer on them but the carvings pretty much sucked i mean they were okay but nothing like like i was seeing uh, coming out of the shops and mm-hmm. competing at the world championship so we started greenhead gear dog decoys in 2002 uh mm-hmm. and uh, started shipping them in 2003 so that's how i got my start and i was carving decoys i was also working with all the carvers going back and forth to china and getting that that uh company going and rolling so i had a lot of experience uh in 2009 i resigned from avery greenhead gear and um 2010 i started working on avian x concept wise decoy wise where we wanted to be kind of what we wanted to do and do differently than what i had done in the past with greenhead gear and uh we shipped our first uh, first turkey decoys in the fall of 2010 for the spring of 2011. So I guess you would say spring of 2011 where turkey decoys was the first decoy that AVNX ever shipped. Well, they're incredibly realistic. Uh, but I will say this, you know, when you get one in your hand and you first realize, and I've hunted with buddies that have had them, and I mean, that's where I was like, I need to get some of these. Um, but you, they're inflatable. And like... I've always looked at inflatable decoys as kind of a, a knockoff, something cheap that uh, that looks plasticky. Right. Not a big fan of them. This is a whole different ballgame. Well, we started with that. I had a couple concepts of doing it. Um, I had an old school decoy. It was made probably, man, I would say it's probably made in the 50s, 40s or 50s. It was a little duck butt, you know, mm-hmm. feeding mallard duck butt. Mm-hmm. And it was rubberized with a valve in it way back in the day. And I had that. I seen it at, at a friend's a friend of mine's place in Michigan. I was like, man, that's really cool technology. It's not around any longer. It's, this decoy was from like way back in the day, but long before I was even born. Like that'd make a killer turkey decoy concept. Because turkey decoys, even though being realistic was something that really had never been created. But on the other hand, people like the feather flex style of decoy where you could pull it up, put it in your turkey vest, be mobile, be lightweight. But the issue with those decoys is when you unfold them, typically they don't look good. Right. And the carvings are really barbaric and the material they use doesn't have any details. So you have a lightweight transporting uh, transportable decoy doesn't look like a turkey. Right. And so I figured if I could put the two together, so I know I needed a molding material that I could hold detail, hold paint, um, and would come back to its original shape. So I had this idea of a rubberized decoy that you could inflate with air so it would take its structure back, anatomy, but yet you could take the air out, out of it. It'd be somewhat lightweight, but you could compact it down in case you hunted the hills of Kentucky or Pennsylvania or uh, you know, you had a long hike in Texas and you needed to be able to pack it. So it was kind of a hybrid decoy, new style material, light, lightweight. Um, you could fold it down, but yet when you got there and you added air, which takes around 30 seconds mm-hmm. to maybe a minute at the max to inflate it, instead of on your decoy stake, that it actually looks like a live turkey decoy or live oh, turkey yeah. there. And so that was the game changer. And then since we come out with HDR line, which is a fully molded, 
uh, blend of plastics that's hard, not deflatable uh, or inflatable. And you can shoot it and it's, you know, it's very durable, but it doesn't collapse. But it took a while to get turkey hunters to realize that having a collapsible decoy, in some cases important, but in some cases it's not. So yeah. it's kind of a stair step to where we are today producing HDRs. So I think I have one of the hens that's mm-hmm. uh, not not inflatable. Yep, that's, it's got that's two heads. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it comes with an extra head. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. That thing is, wow. I mean, the attention to detail on that one. And I, I, I was down in South Texas, like I was telling you uh, earlier, and we were just riding around in the Polaris and all the decoys are getting thrown back there. And I look and I'm like, oh man, I need to take better care of this one. This one's special. Yeah, it's special. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, It's special. But I've learned, I've been making decoys professionally um, since 2002, basically. So 20 years, over mm-hmm. 20 plus years of making decoys, waterfowl and turkey for the last, you know, since 2011. So basically uh, 11 years approximately. And um, you learn a lot. And um, the reason why I think we've been so successful and I've been successful is number one, I have a carving background. I know the people that are world champions. A lot of friends of mine are world champion carvers. Uh, I carved myself. My dad was a carver. My wife even carved. So I've been around that talent and that uh, culture for a long, long time, being a waterfowl hunter. And then I spent so many days of my own time in China, in factories, actually sitting in the paint lines, uh, painting myself, showing techniques, understanding it, that uh, I spent like 700 days over there in factories in my lifetime. So I have a great understanding of how to create decoys that can be duplicated over and over and over and over again uh, in mass production, which is yeah, it's easy to make one kick-ass decoy, right? Say, yeah, this is really cool and spend hours painting it, but can you do it for years and days on de- uh, days on end and thousands upon thousands? Like on the waterfowl table, when we're producing uh, full, we're producing around 20 to 25,000 decoys a day, oh, wow. uh, finished, blow molded and painted and packaged around anywhere from 20, at the peak of about 20 to 25,000 pieces per day. And so that's a lot of decoys, number one. Number two, you have to have everything in place to be able to do that and make every decoy look like the one from last week as well. Right. It takes right. a lot of time, a lot of knowledge to get that done. That's a lot of time you've spent in China, no doubt about that. Yeah. Uh, um, so I have five of the uh, AVNX decoys. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, there were times where, like I was telling you, these turkeys are some kind of special, stupid where we were hunting. And so there were times when I had my, had two of my kids with me and I would put out all five. And then, you know, if we're having to walk a little bit, maybe I'm only going to use a Jake and a hen. Um, what, what are your, what is your ideal combination? And you can, um, you know, uh, you can say this is actually better for Midwest and maybe this is better for Texas or maybe the Southern United States. Um, but what is your thought process there? There's a couple of things going on. We <clears throat> there's quite a few turkey decoys that we've made, did the carving, mocked them up, and we always use them a year prior to releasing them mm-hmm. uh, to make sure the turkeys react, make sure they react the way we think they're going to react. And in some cases, we've made turkey decoys and spent a lot of time and money making them, 
and running them as samples and did not get the reaction that we thought we would. And we never released them. Mm. And so we spent thousands, maybe 10, 15, $20,000 on doing this whole project and get to the end product, use it in the field and don't have the reaction from the turkeys that we thought we would. We just can't. Mm-hmm. And so we have two or three of those that didn't make the cut simply because of how turkeys react. And so to answer your question is we make all the turkey decoys that we manufacture are designed and developed to communicate to turkeys. Yeah, they look good to hunters. Don't get me wrong, but we're not making fish baits here. We're actually making something that, uh, that the turkeys see and react based upon the body posture. Uh, based upon the height of the wings, the primaries, exposed back, aggressiveness of a hen, slash the unaggressive look of a jake, and the, the, the two different heads that we even make in our HDR series, the color of the heads, all that matters to turkeys, um, much more so than it does to hunters. Mm-hmm. Things that look good to hunters may or may not work well for turkeys and getting that reaction. So the turkey world is. dominated by a pecking order inside that flock. And it's much like, like you say, you're an elk hunter. So one bull is going to breed all the, all the cows, right? Mm -hmm. So in the turkey world, that's going to happen as well. There's going to be one dominant strutter in that area that's going to breed a majority of the hens. And until he gets killed or another one runs him off or another one moves in that's more dominant than him, he's going to do all the breeding. And so you have to understand that and, and you have to, if, to be, if, especially if you're hunting a certain flock of turkeys, there's going to be a bunch of two-year-olds running around there that are afraid of their own shadow because there's a boss Tom. We've all, especially when it comes with Eastern turkeys uh, in the hardwoods, a lot of times you'll hear them on the roost gobbling and they'll be gobbling their heads off. And then a turkey that's a satellite turkey will gobble one time and he'll typically have a deeper sound. When he gobbles one time, the other ones a lot of times will just shut up because he's a dominant bird. Mm -hmm. And so if you have a dominant bird, if you get in front of him with another strutting decoy, he's going to come running to you because Mm -hmm. he knows that's his turn and he's going to run right to you to want to fight especially early in the year, uh, early in the year when pecking orders are not established, like during youth seasons or maybe opening weekends or maybe years where the temperature's uh, colder than normal, kind of late spring, a strutter decoy is fabulous to use at the beginning of the season because the pecking order is not established and turkeys are in fight mode. Now, as the season goes on, and you have two-year-olds running around or subdominant two-year-olds or even three-year-olds that are not the boss, a strutter might be the kiss of death for you. Right. Meaning they come out and see it, turn, and they'll drop or across their wings, get nervous, head will turn from white to kind of a reddish color, and they just walk away. They're nervous mm-hmm. because they think he's that, that decoy that you have in front of you is a dominant strutter that's the dominant bird in that area, and they don't want anything to do with it. So at that point, uh, having a Jake decoy, if I go to an area cable that I don't know, you know, I go to a friend of mine's house and drive all night and get there. I'm going to hunt the next morning. I very seldom will take a strutter. Mm-hmm. I will always take a Jake decoy and uh, maybe a submissive head. So we have two different head positions in our HDR Jake. And the snood on a turkey. Let's say, let me jab something. 
this uh -huh. is our, our uh, half-strut Jake. So the snood on a turkey right here, you see his is long. This, this turkey is fairly, uh, uh, he's dominant. You know, he's in a position where he thinks he's the breeder in the area or he's uh, one of the most dominant birds in the area. But this snood is real short and sticking straight up. That means he's a subdominant bird. So if I'm hunting an area where <clears throat> I don't know the birds, I'm going to use a submissive jake. And in our HDR line, we have two heads. So we have one that's more, a little bit more dominant, and we have one that's less dominant. And his head is stretched up, and he's subdominant. And I will pick that decoy eight out of ten times because mm -hmm. it's a jake. Number one, he's a jake. He's got a short beard on him. But he's got the posture of a subdominant bird that's afraid of his own shadow. And not many other comms are afraid of that. And so you probably have never think nothing's guaranteed, but you probably have, I would estimate, 80% success rate. If another long beard sees that decoy, he's probably gonna come because he sees the posture, he sees the snood, he sees everything, and it's screaming, I'm not dominant. And he's not afraid of that. But you put a strutter out there, and you better have either A, the pecking order not established uh, currently, or number two, you better, if you run up on the dominant bird. So, you know, when to use a strutter is you're out in the field the night before scouting, and you see a longbeard out there running all the jakes off, running all the other longbeards off, and he's out there strutting every time one comes in, another longbeard comes in the field, he runs him off. That means that if you show up with a strutter and mm. he sees that, he's going to run right to you. So that's the time that I'm going to use a strutting decoy. Yeah. And then, you know, the hens are the same way. There's breeding postures, feeding postures, high centuries. And uh, I don't think I've used uh, a strutter in like two years, maybe three. Yeah. But just for the reasons you've said. Back in the day, you know, like when we got started, to be honest with you, that's what everybody was uh, was pushing. You, know, you see it too many times. Like Purdy Boy, yeah. who was out there, the King Strut by Flambeau. Uh, that was just what people are using. Uh, Primos had to be mobile. And uh, it was just a different time. And they yeah. are, they're one of those deals that uh, if you're not a great turkey hunter and you really don't know a lot about that good collar and it's early in the year, man, it could be an equalizer because all you have to do is get in front of one and they see mm -hmm. that tail fan and they're just going to come running. But after you figure it out a little bit more, you start to understand that the Jake decoy is, you know, your ace in the hole. Yeah. Our quarter yeah. strut, Jake, our, our original LCD quarter strut, is like, uh, we always call it like, it's like cyanide when it comes to turkeys. If they see it, based upon the post posture that we picked, they typically are going to come to it for sure. Oh, I've they got tons of video of them just beating them up. Yeah. Uh, just the hands are just kind of a set the, the, set the scene or the mood. Yeah. The, your, your Jake or your gobbler is really the, the, the decoy that's going to typically trigger that running. You know, on social media, when you're watching a turkeys run and they be up, they put their wings out, you know what I mean? And they're like in a V and they're just running. That's because there's a there's a strutter or a Jake decoy that they see and they're coming, right? Yeah. Fight mode. Where the hens, if you get in the area where there's a bunch of Jakes, then and this could be a huge problem in areas. And I've seen it tons of times and tons of different places. 
where if you have a good crop the year before, a good hatch, and all of a sudden there's a bunch of jakes. A lot of times those jakes would get together five, 10, I see as me as 15 and a bunch. And when long beards start to go, they'll shut a long beard down because when they hear goblin, they just run to it. Mm-hmm. And if you get them on your farm, they can really mesh your long beard hunting up because your long beards will quit goblin. Number one, they don't want that hassle because 15 jakes or five jakes will team up on a long beard and beat the heck out of him because five against one, right? I've seen and them so, do it to, to dead long beers that we've shot many times. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and a lot of times, uh, too many jakes on your farm can really be detrimental to your success as far as shooting long beers, hearing them gobble, hearing them gobble on the ground. A lot of times, long beers will, will gobble the tree and they fly down and they shut up because they just mm-hmm. don't want the hassle. If that's the case, then having a jake decoy out or a strutter decoy is something you want to avoid. You want to go with straight hens. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having three or four feeder hens or a couple feeder hens with a breeder, which is kind of a not upright, but it's kind of a, a down uh, head. She looked like she's getting ready to be bred. And our turkey decoys are not slicked up. And what I mean by that is they're more puffy looking. And what we're trying to do is also strike the nerve because hens fight as well. There's a pecking order on the hen side as well. And a slicked up hen turkey decoy, in our opinion, it's not that it won't work, it will work great. But will it work as good as a fluffed up dominant hen turkey decoy? Typically not. Uh, hens like to fight as well. And a lot, a lot of times that boss hen, as they call it, will have that, that tom in tow. And wherever she goes, he goes. Well, and you are not going to call him off of her. Wherever she goes, he goes. And so no. you have to get into her pecking order that's when using a call doing a lot of cutting to her getting her fired up she'll cut back and you just keep cutting her off and eventually she'll come looking for you if you have a hen decoy out there that's also in a dominant pose which we like to do with our carvings is she'll see that and she'll want to come fight and she'll come right to it because she's i mean we have tons of footage of hens strutting half strut full strut even somewhat gobbling standing there and pecking our hen decoys because they want to fight. She's a dominant mm-hmm. hen, and, and usually when she comes, there's usually a dominant bird, long beard right behind her. Mm. And so understanding bird language, we started filming cable in about 2007 or eight when Zinc first got in the turkey call business. Now I remember I heard a couple uh, callers that were, from Ohio that were really top-notch callers. And they eventually, won Grand National Calling Championships were killer turkey hunters, what have you. But we had filmed, at that point, we hadn't made any turkey decoys. At that, we just got into the turkey call business. And I think we filmed, they were on the road filming three weeks, two and a half, three weeks, and didn't have a kill on video. Because I told him, I said, unless you can see the turkey from the beard up, don't shoot. Because we want to get them close. And, and that was an analogy that I had from our waterfowl, waterfowl hunting DVDs and TV shows, where we were always trying our best to get the ducks and geese. Like, we didn't shoot them at 40 yards flying by. We got them, like, right there to give the, the people watching the experience. And that's what we like to do anyways, decoy. So one very 
far into the season, their concept this, you know, we can shoot turkeys about every day, but they're 40 yards with their head stuck up over the ridge. We're talking Easterns here. Yeah. Um, and an Eastern turkey, if you don't have a decoy, a lot of times when you're in a wood settings, he's going to come, he, he about knows exactly what tree you're sitting up against. They, that their ability to pinpoint sound is incredible. And I, I swear to God, they can do it from a ridge over. Because I don't know how many times that we would, it's happened with turkey decoys too. We'd be calling and he'd be in the next ridge, gobble, gobble, gobble. It's all right, we got to make a move on him. Just leave the decoy here. We make a big circle, get where we need to do, yelp, and he's over where we just come from. Oh, yeah. And we yeah. go there and our decoy would be, we'd come back and our decoy would be blown up where he came to us, but we weren't patient enough. So yeah. with that being said is we didn't know what to do. So there's a taxidermist. Callie Morris is one of the best taxidermists uh, in the world when it comes to turkeys. A great, just unbelievable taxidermist. And he was putting out taxidermy uh, turkey decoys. They were 500 bucks a piece. And a friend of mine knew him and we got a hold of Callie and said, hey, we're in the business of making calls, whatever. And so he he sent us, I think, three of them. Right. And uh, I was like, that's really cool. And we said, we'll use them on video, what have you. So we actually had taxidermy uh, turkey decoys. And man, our luck changed right away. All of a sudden, they were coming in, and they would see them, and then they'd walk right up, and we're getting great video. We were able to get video simply because we had world champion calling, but they wouldn't close the distance as far as video. Close the distance as far as shooting them, mm -hmm. but they get video and try to do what we're trying to accomplish, what happened. So by using Cali's taxidermy decoys and seeing how the birds react, we knew that there was a business there that if we got in the turkey decoy business at that point, because at that point we were, we were at that point I was working for Greenhead Gear. We had already been making waterfowl decoys. I said, there's a, you know, there's an opportunity here also on the turkey side of things to make a decoy that's packable uh, and one that looked just like a turkey. So we knew by the response we've seen with having real taxidermy turkeys in front of you, that decoy and turkeys was possible because before, I'd use feather flex decoys, a bunch of fold up decoys for a long time. And I don't know how many times those long beards would sit out there at 40 yards and gobble their head off. They just would not close the distance. Mm -hmm. Like they weren't realistic enough to pull them. And, uh, but after using uh, Cali's mounted birds, we knew that there was definitely a different level. Uh, all we had to do was figure out how to do it. Interesting. So the real, real taxidermy turkeys kind of set the stage there it for is. the realization, huh? Yeah, um, we knew there, there, we knew there was an opportunity based upon what we've seen them work with yeah. the taxidermy birds. Let me ask you this: so you are on a place that you're familiar with, and you have a general idea of which direction the turkeys are going to come from. Is there any school of thought as to I'm going to set the hen closest to where he's coming from, or He's going to want to immediately come fight the Jake. So I'm going to set it. Like, and I'm talking about like, I'm just putting my decoys out and I'm, they might not even be in an area as big as my little studio here, you know, like right, right. they're close to each other. That's when turkeys are hanging out, you know, that's what mm -hmm. they look like. Uh, do you, do you put any thought into, well, I'm going to set this one closest to where I think the turkeys are going to approach from. They're going to come to the Jake or the strutter. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that decoy is the most important one because they're not going to come to the hens. They're going to walk right past the hens and they're going to go to fight. If they see that Jake and they come, 
they're going to go right to him. So you want to put that Jake in a clearing where you have a shot, whether you're shooting with a bow, shotgun, whatever you're shooting, he needs to be the focus and he needs to be right in front of where you're sitting because that's where they're going to come. The hens just set the stage from the standpoint of, uh, of if there's other hens coming or you're showing dominance uh, with a, a decoy adjacent to a hen. As far as having some feeders around, they set the stage and make it realistic. The breeder hens that we make, we make one that's actually a lay-down breeder hen. I have that one, yeah. Okay. Well, I like to lay her within a foot or two of my jig decoy, like, and I'll have him right up behind her. Like she laid down uh, and is getting ready to get bread, wants uh-huh. to get bread, and he's walking up on her. And man, if a long beard sees that, like that his top comes off, he's going to come. He's going to come right there. Um, one mistake you don't want to do is there's a couple there's a couple things that we learn when we're filming TV. We'd have three crews every day, two to three crews every day with all of our pro staffers and our staff with Avian and Zinc filming every day. And at the end of the year, we would kill around 50 turkeys on film every spring. Um, I'm sure there's people out there shooting more. We could have killed a hundred, but as far as filming and shooting the ones that only come in that did the right things, if they showed up at 30 yards or 20 yards and started, but didn't come to the decoys, we didn't shoot. You know, so we were shooting 45 to 50, sometimes 60 birds every year that were 100% completely full. And when you really want turkeys not, you don't want to put the decoy between you and where the turkey's coming from mm-hmm. because they're looking right at you, right? We always would try to set it up to where the turkeys would approach the decoy and they were because they zone zone in right on that decoy if you're behind it you move especially during youth season if you got a youth hunter or maybe a first-time hunter that might move his gun or or she might move her gun that turkey will see that movement but if it's off to the side i swear to god once they get locked on you can almost stand up and do jumping jacks and they won't see you because they're so zoned in so we like to put it so we're off to one side so the turkey's walking to the decoy and we're on the opposite side. That's mm-hmm. number one rule. Number two rule is you don't want to put the decoy too close to you. Because if you do, uh, most turkey chokes, you know, you're shooting such a small pattern that one issue that I've seen with turkey decoys is a lot of people are missing birds. A lot of our staff miss birds because they get all excited, all jacked up if their head is not completely on the back of the stock perfectly and they're not really taking their time they miss turkeys because they're shooting a you know eight inch pattern six inch pattern at 10 or 15 yards it's easy to miss especially when a turkey decoy is pecking you know when they come in and fight they continue to peck well if his head's here and you go to shoot and when you pull the trigger he goes to peck you're going to shoot right over him so understanding when to shoot and i like to place my decoy about 20 yards at that point you have a typically you have a pattern it's probably about 10 inches to 12 inches in diameter. So you get a little margin for error. It's not so close that uh, the turkeys can see you. And uh, I think that's important. So number one, don't have the turkeys looking right at you as they approach. Number two, set your decoy a little further 
away, about 20 yards. That's a good pattern with a 12 gauge or, you know, with TSS and a 20 gauge. And I mean, there's people shooting them out there 40, 50 yards plus pretty consistently now. And so putting that decoy out a little further. Um, the third thing, and I think this is where it's probably the most important part about hunting turkeys with a decoy is when you're in a woods, say you're in the hardwoods in the, in the north or in the, or in the east where there's a lot of cover and you're hunting easterns. A lot of times if you were just yelping them in and you didn't have no decoys, you want to almost set up an ambush area to where it's so thick they can't see very far because a turkey will come to wherever he thinks that hen's at and if he doesn't see her in the hardwoods, a lot of times he'll flip his wing and turn around and walk away. That's just their nature. Right. Like they're here, where is she? I don't see her, I'm moving on, right? But with decoys, you want to get in an area where you can see much further than that. And they can see you too, because if they come up over the hill, maybe they're a two-year-old, maybe there's been some friction, the pe pecking order has already been somewhat established. And he hears you yelping, knows there's a hen there, and he comes to it and he sticks his head up over that ridge and he sees a red, white, and blue head there, he might think that's the dominant bird. And if he's 30 yards away when he sees that, he might just flip his wing and duck down and circle around you. They get really flippy, a little bit too nervous. So when using a decoy, instead of using a thick area or an ambush area, like you would if you're just yelping one in with no decoy, you want to get more in an open area. You want that long beard to see that turkey and those turkey decoys from a further distance. Because mm -hmm. he'll, in my opinion, feel way more comfortable and actually decoy and come right in. And number two, you want to use your decoy for an advantage and not a disadvantage. And your advantage is a turkey, a turkey can see it 75 to 100, 150, 200 yards away. The chances of him coming to that decoy are much greater. Right? Yeah. Oh, because yeah. you're showing your attraction, you're not hiding it. And when you get in a hardwood, some people will make the mistake of hunting uh, like they grew up hunting their entire life with no decoys. And they get in an area where you can't see very far. And I've just seen it number one, spook turkeys. And number two, just not like that turkey could just be on the other side of that ridge and the foliage be pretty green late in the year and walk right by. The turkey's only 30 yards away, but you picked an area in which that, that you're not using your decoy to the best advantage and that turkey will walk right by you and you won't see him he won't see you and you don't get a shot picking mm. a picking a more open area with a turkey decoy in my opinion is extremely important so we like to put them on senderos down here where you know if they come right. out in the sendero they're going to see the turkey decoy right you know? right um even even like this one ranch we were hunting on recently fifteen thousand acres well they have paved roads everywhere and the turkeys mm -hmm. will walk down those roads. They don't. They don't care. Right. Uh, like you were. I don't know. I don't guess you can bait in uh, Ohio. No. Uh, but yeah. you know, in South Texas, people have feeders on the front of their buggies on the ranger or whatever. Just Drive down the road. Bread some corn, and you know, here come the deer. Here come the turkeys. Yep. And then if you have your decoy 150 yards down the road where you just corned, and that that gobbler sees it, he's coming. Do it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um. One other question I have for you as we wrap things up here, and it's been a hotly contested topic of late last couple of years is, is reaping. Right. And, uh, I've tried it once, twice, maybe in Texas, 
had some birds interested, but they didn't come running to me like it was the crack cocaine that a lot of people swear it is. Uh, so I don't know if it's legal in Ohio, but it is. Uh, it is? Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, it's very effective. That mm. I will say it's extremely effective. Um, a tail fan, whether you use it to reap or I use them at my tree. I typically always have a tail fan in my vest that of a recently killed turkey. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times if you get long beards out there, uh, 50, 60 yards hung up, you, you just pull that tail pan, uh, fan out and pop it a couple of times and just show it to him and fan it back down. And usually a lot of times they'll just break and walk right to you. And then they'll walk to the decoy. It's showing movement, shooting, it's showing uh, life there and it's showing aggressiveness. And uh, it is definitely a game changer. I've been doing that since I've been a kid, you know, mm-hmm. do, doing that. Now, reaping, it, it's very effective as well. There's a lot of times you, you catch a turkey out in the field, especially if it's a rolling hill to where you can get somewhat in his zone without him knowing you. And you simply creep up over, over that hill, showing the top of that fan. Or a lot of times you can walk, right, because of the curvature of the field or whatever, just showing him and you're looking through the tail fan and he sees it and they'll come run. And then when they get there, you just simply get lower and they'll run right to you. So it's a very effective method. I think where the people are mad about it, pissed off about it is it is uh, some people would say it's cheating. Yeah. Uh, it definitely is killing more birds. There's no, there's no doubt about it, especially when you get, Reaping is not as dangerous or not as, uh, I wouldn't say effective. When you get in this area where we hunt, it's rolling hills and stuff like that, that's just a different turkey. They're in a different environment. A lot of times, until the foliage gets real thick in the woods, a long beard here in the, in the east, north, or northeast would typically 100% live in the woods. They're not field turkeys. Mm-hmm. Um, they will only go to the field on a rainy day. Or if the foliage gets so thick in the woods, uh, then at that point, they'll start popping out because they like new growth. And early in the year, there's a bunch of new growth, um, invertebrate and insect blooms inside the woods. A lot, a lot of greens, lush greens coming up where they have plenty of food in the woods. And, and by nature, a turkey is a woods creature. Now, once that foliage gets tall and a lot of the small greens are overdeveloped and it's kind of like a white-tailed deer they prefer a young plant then those turkeys will move out to the ag fields so they can see further and at that point it's towards the end of breeding season or whatever and they're also out walking strutting they'll be in a strut zone out along the woods on on the field edge strutting looking for hens crossing so they can find them and see them because they can't see hens in the woods either so they'll come to a field but when you start getting into like Kansas, Nebraska, and you talking about wide open prairie areas where it's flat and you can see a long way and there's not a lot of timber, that's where reaping with a fan is extremely deadly. And it's also deadly, more so deadly on the higher age class, the most mm-hmm. dominant longbeards. And I think that's probably where a lot of population, I wouldn't say be wiped out by no means, but definitely it's the equalizer because if that, if that long beard's out there in the middle of a field, it's a 688 or a quarter of a 640 section in Oklahoma and he's in the middle of that field and you can't get close to him and you can yelp, you can do whatever you want to get him to turn and come 
six, seven hundred yards to you on a field edge, it's not likely. Right. But if you catch him out there in that field and you got a tail fan or a reaping decoy, you can get, you know, inside of his circle and just walk right to him. And he's not going to run. He's going to sit there and look. And when you get close enough, he's going to turn and run right to you. And a lot of times, I wouldn't say it's nothing. No, there's times when you're 150 yards away from a turkey. And where where we hunt in Texas anyway, it's so damn windy, they can't hear you regardless. They can't hear you. Yeah, Uh, that's right. You can't hear them? Is it it effective? They can't hear you? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, especially in the wide open areas. Like A lot of times, if you catch a turkey out in the middle of the field, and it's 10 o'clock in the morning and you have, you know how to reap, uh, to be honest with you, in most cases that turkey's dead. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Which, well, so why has it gotten more going, popular? Because to, we've been killing again. turkeys and saving their fans forever. So why now all of a sudden is it because of social media yep. or yeah. do what? Yeah. Yeah. You think so? Awareness. Uh-huh. There's been people doing it forever. When I was at Avery Greenhead Gear, there was a fellow from Tennessee. I wouldn't say he probably isn't the first by no means, but this whole reaping deal, I think it was around, you know, it's really got popular in the last five years, right? Right. So let's just say 2018 to 19, it really started to hit social media, starting to become popular. So let's go back to like 2005. This guy called us at Avery Greenhead Gear and said, hey, I got a new way to kill turkeys. I want to come show you. So he bought a reaping decoy. It was a Van Dyke's turkey mount wall foam kit that you put on the wall. Mm-hmm. Had a tail fan, had a PVC uh, mechanism that had his gun in it. And he goes, we're, we're like, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'll show you some videos. He said, you can walk right up to them and they'll run right to you. So we actually, he came down, gave us the decoy, showed us the video. We went out on a couple farms and did it. And they ran right to us. Huh. Now, the whole time that I was doing it, it wasn't that it was fun. It was really fun. I was really nervous uh, from people with rifles. I've been in goose spreads, I think two times, two different times where we had people shoot at us with high-powered rifles from the road, thinking they were real geese in the field, right? And when you you get shot at a couple of times with bullets whipping over your head, and like, I always felt when I was reaping that I was very nervous from a safety standpoint of getting shot from a distance with a high power rifle, you know, especially when you're holding a turkey in front of you, especially. Yeah. So I didn't feel real comfortable. We elected not to do it. Uh, we would have been the first company to mass produce them and promote it back in the mid 2000s, like 2005 ish, if we did it. But we thought we knew it was effective. We didn't do it because of safety. And uh, so there is definitely a question as far as the safety aspect of that. I think Mm -hmm. it's pretty dangerous, especially in some states. I wouldn't Uh, do it on public land. I mean, there's no way. Or areas where there's rifle. I mean, how many farmers do you know ride around with a rifle in their truck? All of them. (laughs) And so, you know, when, when is your number going to be pulled where there's a boys running down the, down the road, gravel road with a, 223 in there drinking they're about the 18th bush light and they see mm-hmm. a turkey out in the field no and, those boys aren't drinking bush anymore <laughs> no yeah they quit right they quit. yeah so is it dangerous yes is it effective yes is it yeah. does it kill an older structure of turkeys that are would be hard to kill yes you know you can err on which side of the fence you want to as far as what people say but you know there's people that are 
don't like crossbows for people that don't like vertical bows you got to shoot a long bow you know don't shoot expandable broadheads do this don't shoot you know a yeah. 10 gauge you got to shoot a, a 20 gauge at waterfowl so don't use spinners so you got people of all different schools that think bottom line is if it's legal you know i know there might be petitions to get that unlegalized in certain states like in the state of um, michigan you can't use a tail fan right yeah. unless it's attached to a decoy you can't move it you can't fan with it what have you but you know if it's legal in your state you feel comfortable with it have at it until mm. that's until that rule changes i'm all for whatever is legal personally right on. me too me too well my friend it's been great getting to know you yep. and uh just you know hear a little bit about your your background and uh and how these these turkey decoys came about like i said i'm a big fan uh i've been hunting my best friend um we've been turkey hunting together for the last five or six years and he's the one that introduced me to him and i've been working with gsm all these years and i'm like wait a second i saw on their website i don't even know when gsm acquired avian x two years ago it would be two years yeah. ago okay two so years, almost two years ago yeah. yeah, so I was just like, oh, I'm, I'm going to have to get some of these. You think about how effective the turkey decoys, and that, I've seen it, I would say, somewhat revolutionize turkey hunting to what mm -hmm. it is today, to what it's become. And you talk about people, some people out there against reaping and, and fanning. There, there's people out there that are against decoys, too. They oh, think yeah. it's unfair. And, and so, I mean, the decoy business is just like reaping from the standpoint of there's a lot of people on the other side of the fence as well. Is it more effective? Yeah, I mean, I, I will tell you, I think uh, decoys have revolutionized and the quality decoys are available today has revolutionized turkey hunting. From the standpoint, you have to have, in the past, you'd have to be pretty damn good at calling. You have to have, be a really good woodsman and you're gonna spend a lot of days yelp up uh, a long beard in the woods and shoot him. And, and I mean, sometimes really good turkey hunters would go a season without getting fully tagged out, right? Mm -hmm. And now I know people that hadn't killed a bird in four or five years now shoot and tag out. And then they're taking a couple guys from work and they're taking their grandson or their, you know, their nephew or whatever. So it, I think it is more effective. I know it is more effective. Um, I think there's more turkeys being killed because of decoys. But I also think it's introduced a lot of people to the sport that normally wouldn't be in the sport. So it's been good. It's been bad from the standpoint of harvest. But, you know, harvest isn't controlled by the hunters. It's controlled by each state. Yep. And once they find out that the harvest has exceeded the, the breeding population and reproduction, then they adjust. I mean, that's why you do surveys. That's why you tag in birds. Um, you know, a lot of probably a lot of people that are complaining about the decoys or some of them are also the ones that shoot birds and don't tag them. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, keep, and keep right on going. And uh, so I think there's a happy medium. Uh, but if you're a, a novice hunter or you have some some uh, young hunters that you want to take hunting, the addition to a turkey decoy to your arsenal to get those turkeys to not only commit and run in, but what a show, number one, it is. And number two, it really takes the ability to not sit still with a youth hunter and move the gun and shake in and all that stuff. It really takes that out of the picture because they're so zoomed in on that decoy you can get away with a lot and both my kids turkey hunted they're now in their 20s but i was taking them when they're five years old hmm. and uh the turkey like decoy i told you my son just shot his and he and he's 10 and yeah. those 
there was two gobblers and they came right to the decoys. He actually shot and missed. Yep. And I went, you know, little little uh, yelp and and turned right around and came back. As smart as a turkey, I I personally he shot one of them. And then this yeah. buddy was trying to beat his ass. I don't think and so. Then he was like, give, really "Give it to your daughter. Give it to your daughter." I don't think turkeys are smart yeah. at all, in my opinion. I think yeah. they're everything in the woods is trying to kill them and eat them, and they're just spooky, and they're very unpredictable. But as far as being smart, like a white-tailed deer, uh, yeah. like Canada geese or ducks, you shoot, they're going to the next county. They're yeah. not sticking around, but you shoot around turkey. You know, a lot of times they won't go anywhere or if their buddy gets shot, you know, and people say, well, they're used to thunder and lightning or whatever. It's like, well, ducks and geese are used to it too. And deer are as well. They just are, you know, they're just made out differently. Totally yeah. different creatures, but mm-hmm. man, they got eyes like crazy. Right. And they're just extremely spooky. So that decoy, let them get locked onto that decoy really changes the hunt. And it allows, yeah. I think in a lot of cases, it allows you to see an aspect of turkeys and how to react you would never see if you just yelping them up and shoot them at 40 45 50 yards in the timber or whatever where you don't really see the appreciation of them gobbling and strutting at a close distance and fighting and purring and all that once you experience that over a decoy where they're coming in and actually fighting this is a whole new level of interaction. oh yeah yeah, yeah. There's no hey doubt. man i want to appreciate uh, i want to thank you and i appreciate the opportunity to be a part of your podcast i wish you the best this spring yeah, sure. I appreciate it, my friend. Thank you very much. And uh, what is what is your uh, your social media that you use the most frequently? Fred Zink Jr. Instagram and Facebook, and then of course GSM, AVNX, and Zink Calls on Instagram and Facebook. Right on. Well, yeah. hey, thanks. Have a great season, and uh, we'll uh, we'll have to do this again somewhere on down the road. Yep, keep me posted. I appreciate you. So there you have it, the spring turkey edition of Campfire Conversations with Fred Zink of Avian X and Zink Game Calls. Maybe uh, that helps you get fired up for opening weekend. Actually, if it's opening weekend, you're probably jacked up as is. But hey, uh, maybe you've been struggling this season. Maybe you've been beating your head against the wall trying to figure out why you can't punch a damn turkey tag. They're not smart birds, right? I've been there. Some seasons, you know, two days, boom, all four tags punched. Other times it's like, gosh, it's like the next to last weekend and I still haven't killed a bird. Uh, This season hasn't been that way, thankfully, but uh, I've been there. And if that's what's going on with you, maybe uh, this got you motivated to get back out there because I know one thing, you can't kill them from the couch. So uh, hopefully you have a great weekend and you do punch that tag. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, don't get your ass in the turkey woods and have a great week in the outdoors. Baby, let me take you down to Mexico. There's a piece of heaven I want to show you. I got a little honey in the money sack. You don't need to pack. Baby, we could do a little living like the locals do. Tucked away.